again, I want to thank everyone, whether you're online or on site, taking part in our worship celebration today. Now this may sound like a strange question, but I want you to think about it. Um, do you believe people can change? Do you believe that you can change? Do you believe I can change? Do you believe our neighbors can change? Do you believe that really cantankerous person that's in your life? You know, you know the one I just, as soon as I said that, you thought of them. You know who it is. Do you think they can change? In the first century, there was a religious leader named Saul. He played a central role in, in, a, in, in a deadly and painful persecution against Jesus' followers, uh, sent them running from Jerusalem, where they had gathered, uh, at least at the very beginning. He went through, though, uh, shortly after that, uh, a life-altering encounter with Jesus, and became a pioneer missionary. Now this guy went from thinking anybody who believes in Jesus needs to go to jail or die to believing everybody needs to believe in Jesus in a matter of days. Just think about this for a minute. What would it take for you to completely change everything you believe. Saul's, Saul's change was so complete that people stopped calling him Saul and they started calling him Paul. And he wrote most of the letters that are collected in the section of the Bible we call the New Testament. God not only changed his life, he changed uh, Paul's mission before, before Paul's mission was to stamp out anybody who believed in Jesus. Afterwards, his mission was to bring everybody he could, particularly Gentiles, non-Jewish people, into God's kingdom. In his letter to the Christians in Rome, the followers of Jesus in the city of Rome in that first century, Paul wrote about a lot of things, but here toward the end of the letter, he, he wrote about how he had been effectively introducing people to Jesus as their king and how they have been making drastic changes in their lives. Now just, Paul had experienced this drastic change and Paul would go to places where they had one, had never heard of Jesus, where they worshiped many different gods, where they worshiped idols. They didn't worship the God of the Jewish people, most of them. And within a matter of 
sometimes moments, sometimes days or weeks, they would go from not knowing about Jesus, not knowing anything about one God, being polytheistic, idol-worshiping people, to being monotheistic Jesus followers. call it miraculous and it would be accurate in Romans chapter 15 Paul talks about what God had been doing through him and in his life as he's coming to the conclusion of this letter that he's written to these people these followers of Jesus in the city of Rome he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly with some points to remind you again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Haynes paraphrase. I know you folks have your act together, but I thought I ought to write some stuff to you plainly and boldly because God called me to be an, uh, to work with and serve the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This was his mission. To introduce people who had absolutely no concept of who Jesus and the God of the Jewish people, the creator of the universe, to have no concept about them, to introduce them to the Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And bring them into God's kingdom and his family. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit enables bold, courageous, clear presentations of God's message, the gospel. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. Holy Spirit is the only one to convince us and to convict us that we need to have a relationship or we're created to have a relationship with Jesus. He's the one that brings us the understanding that the message about Jesus is true. He's the one that brings us the sense that living on our own has left us broken and we need to be fixed healed, restored. The Holy Spirit convinces our minds that we need to change and transforms our hearts. The Holy Spirit creates an environment where people sense a holy hush of God's presence and a reverence for God. The Holy Spirit encourages believers followers of Jesus in their faith and all 
of these things are things that are humanly impossible. We cannot do these things. We can get in arguments with people. I have heard, I have seen people advocate for the need to argue people into God's family. Yes, I might as well go on record. I'll say it here, and I'll put it's going to be online so everybody in the world will hear it. It makes me mad when I hear people say we can argue people into God's kingdom. We can't. We shouldn't even try. Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us. So what are we as, as the church? What are we? The church, great definition of the church by one of my favorite authors, J.D. Well, puts it this way. The church is the power of God in the presence of people for the sake of the world. We're supposed to be, as Jesus followers, the presence of God, the presence of his power in people's lives for their sake. Nothing, he says, is more beautiful or winsome or powerful than God's people laying aside their interests, their agendas, their needs, their desires, for the best interests of other people. He's final, he says, conclusion, the best description for this kind of love is holy. It's what Jesus does. It's what Jesus did. God's presence and holy love displayed in Jesus, but also displayed by Paul and the people that Paul talked to, his fellow Christians, changed the world. Wherever Paul went, people's lives were changed because of holy love. God has a mission for us to carry out with Jesus as well. Some of us have heard these numbers before. If you've not heard them before, or you don't remember them, or you have, just let them grip you for a moment. There are over 50,000 people in Bay County not claimed by any church at all. Over 50,000 in Bay County. If we include Saginaw and Midland County, so include the whole mid-Michigan Tri-Counties area, there are over 200,000 people not claimed by any church. That's nearly a quarter of a million people around us who do not have any religious affiliation and probably no relationship with Jesus. So how do you feel 
how do we feel when we hear about our assignment? We're supposed to be a part of reaching those people. Paul's, Paul's mission was to reach Gentiles. I mean, that was like everybody who wasn't Jewish. Ours is everybody who doesn't know Jesus in Bay County, Saginaw, Midland. Maybe you would be like, yeah. Some of us, our eyes just kind of glass over and we go, wow. Some of us are overwhelmed. Make the fact that we suddenly look like deer stuck in the headlights of an oncoming semi truck probably shows how much we need to stop depending on ourselves and start depending on God and the Holy Spirit's work in us. I think the number one reason people go to church. is to meet God. I think the number one reason people continue going to church is to meet God. And if they don't meet God, if they leave week after week feeling like they've never encountered God, they're going to become disillusioned, disappointed, discouraged, confused, and probably stop. And start saying things like, you know, I mean, this is close to God out on the golf course. Or in my fishing boat. Or in my hunting blind. Or in bed, sleeping in. You know, I've never heard anybody say that they would be just as close to God on I-95, you know, or I-75 coming back from I, uh, up north on Sunday. <laughs> Nobody feels close to God on, in the, the, the traffic on I-75. He use his name a few times. Never mind, let's not go there, Mark. Okay. <laughs> let's not go there. Uh, See, this is the unfortunate thing. What so many churches are, are presently offering, and this is, I, okay, I, I'm going to, see, I'm saying this in the plural so that, you know, we don't feel real bad and we're not all alone because we're not all alone. What a lot of churches are presenting was normal Christianity isn't really attractive to people who don't know Jesus yet. It's really not very satisfying for, or engaging for people who do. The degree to which a lot of folks who attend church ignore or just don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit, I believe, is directly connected to the dissatisfaction that many people feel, many of us feel, with the church, this congregation, or other congregations, or the church in all as a whole. We feel like something's missing. We don't know what for sure what it is. And the feeling that it's become so strong that some people have run away from the church. 
I believe that something is someone, and that someone is the Holy Spirit. We don't welcome the Holy Spirit to meet with us. The Holy Spirit's power showed up in Paul's ministry. He goes on to talk to us about it in Romans 15, verses 17 through 19. He says, because God has given him this mission of reaching Gentiles, he says, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. So, the glory in Christ. I will not venture to speak about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. I want you to notice what Paul says. He doesn't say, wow, look at all the stuff I've done. That is quite the opposite. Paul says, King Jesus has accomplished the mission that God gave me through the Spirit working through me. He talked about this in other places. In his letter to the Corinthians, he says, My conversation and my preaching were with a demonstration of the Spirit and with power so that your faith would be based on the power of God. To the church of Thessalonica, he said, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So we would look at the records of what happened when Paul went to places. Wherever Paul went, he started a new church. Sometimes it only took him a couple of days because that's all he had. Thessalonica, that town, he was there just a few days before they ran him out of town, literally. And he wrote back to them in that letter that I just quoted from. He wrote back to them and said, you've become a model church for everybody in the world. Three days. You've gone from people who worshiped idols and didn't know anything about God to people who followed Jesus and become a model church for the entire world. And I was only there for three days. Because God showed up and the Holy Spirit worked in your lives. Despite not knowing Jesus or the Creator God, despite persecution, people experienced extreme makeovers in their beliefs. And that leaves me asking questions like, why then and not now? Why not always? Why there and not here? Why not everywhere? Why them? Not us. Why not everyone? What propelled the first century church to effectively introduce people to Jesus despite all the obstacles that they faced? They had no technology. Well, at least like ours. They had sailboats. Mm. They did have really good roads. The roads the Romans built are still around. Unlike the roads we built that we have to replace 
as soon as we replace them. Makes you wonder. Maybe they just didn't have semis running over them. Maybe that was the problem. So what, what, what makes the difference? Well, based on what Paul said, I, I think it, the, the, Jesus builds the church with the Holy Spirit's presence and his transforming power. It's Jesus works through the Holy Spirit in his people. The Spirit's powerful presence produced miracles, changed lives. And that combined with Paul simply telling people about who Jesus was and what Jesus has done transformed people wherever he went. So where's the Holy Spirit's power here and now? Well, it's a good question. But let me tell you a story. One of my favorite stories from the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus had tried to get away with his disciples. They'd all been busy. They'd all been tired. They tried to get away. They jumped in a boat. They sailed to the opposite side of what was called the Sea of Galilee. It's really a lake, not even a very big lake by Michigan standards. Sailed, sailed to the other side. I, this is how small the lake was. People saw where, that they had left, figured out where they were going, and ran around the lake and met them there. Small lake. Jesus gets off the boat, sees all the people, and turns to one of his disciples, Philip, and says, Philip, where can we buy food to feed all these people? Philip's quick because we'd have to work for months to have enough money to feed these people. And I think in the back of his head, he's also thinking, we came over here to get away from everything. The grocery store is like miles away. Um, but Jesus was testing Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. And so uh, Andrew, one of the other disciples, says, hey, there's, there's, a, there's a kid here that's got a sack lunch. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. Now, I don't know what kind of fish he had. I don't care what kind of fish he had. I don't care if he had giant tuna in his sack lunch. Okay? We're talking, because it tells us, 5,000 men. Even two giant tuna being drunk behind it by a kid. Now, all right, Jesus says, tell everybody to sit down. They all sit down. There's 5,000 men. Jesus takes the five barley loaves. He thanks God for them. And he hands them to the disciples and they start passing them out. And after we did word, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate they all ate as much as they wanted. And then Jesus told his disciples, get the leftovers. Don't want to waste anything. And they filled 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Now, I'm not sure what they did, but I, I hope they sent, sent them home with that little kid. 
so that he could take them home to mom. And then try to explain it. Uh, you know, I gave mom, I gave my lunch to this guy named Jesus, and the next thing I know, I got all this stuff to bring home. All right, what really happened? Sack lunch in the hands of Jesus. With a little bit of prayer. Steve Elliott, who is the national superintendent for Wesleyan Church in Canada, wrote, I wonder how many North American congregations could be rightfully accused of being very sincere, but ministering out of our own energy and creativity rather than through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Until God shows up in presence and power, we remain like the little boy who had his little lunch of fish and bread. What we bring to the table is not nearly enough to feed or win over the crowds, but once the powerful presence of God shows up, the fish and the bread are multiplied in their effectiveness far beyond anything we could have formerly imagined could have been accomplished. See, there, there's no power in a lunch that is never packed. There are no, there's no power in our lives until we've experienced Jesus' love. But once we have, the Holy Spirit's powerful presence shows up and he can begin to do amazing things in us and through us. There's no power, for lunch, power in a lunch that's never presented to Jesus. And there's no power in our lives until we surrender everything we are and everything we have to Jesus. But when we do, the Holy Spirit's powerful presence shows up and life-altering things begin to happen in us and through us. There's no power in the lunch that's never prayed for. There's no power in our lives until we realize that Jesus is praying for us. He is interceding for us. He is intensely interceding for us. But when we do, when we realize that he's praying for us, the Holy Spirit's powerful presence shows up in us and through us to do wonderful things. So here's the sermon in a sentence. If you don't remember anything else, I want to encourage you to remember this. We are powerless promises until the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. We are powerless promises. We're helpless without the Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus, the mission he has given us, the life he's called us to live, we're powerless without the Holy Spirit. To think or to act otherwise is to fall victim to, to deception, to a lie. We, we need to keep on seeking the Holy Spirit. No matter how long we've been following Jesus, we need to keep asking for the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives. But how do we do that? The same way Jesus certainly 
earliest fathers did. Earliest followers did. They prayed. They prayed. They asked. And sometimes we need to sacrifice something to pray even more. Sacrifice some time. That might be sacrificing food, called old-fashioned fasting. It might be sacrificing TV time, computer time, whatever, so we can spend some more time. Now, I have no idea. I cannot tell you everything that God wants to do in and through us what will happen when we ask God to give us more of the Holy Spirit, more of his presence, more of his love, more of his power to work in us? I only know that when we completely surrender to Jesus, when we completely give ourselves to the Holy Spirit, people are going to notice Jesus. Not us. They're going to notice Jesus. Jesus declared, when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will glorify me. Francis Chan writes, when the Holy Spirit moves, God is the one who's praised. Jesus is the one honored and celebrated. What we want to do is to pray that God radically empowers us so that we don't receive glory or that people see and glorify Jesus. We've been singing a prayer. I want us to sing it again. It's a great prayer. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. I'm going to remind you what a sanctuary is. A sanctuary is a, a place where people meet God because God wants them to meet Him there. We're asking God to fill us with His presence in such a way that people meet Him when they encounter us. We're volunteering to be the words of the song a living sanctuary for Him. Let's sing our prayer. God, Jesus told us that you are more willing to give your spirit to us than the parents are to give good gifts to their kids. So here we are once again. Asking for more. We're not ashamed. We don't feel guilty. 
we was for more. More of you. More of your presence. More of your love. Jesus to be seen in us. So will be noticed, but so that Jesus will be praised, so that you will be honored. That your family, your kingdom will expand and grow. Those folks who are online, we want to. Thank you for being with us. We're going to pause here and pray a little bit longer, but if you're online, we want to encourage you to do the same. But I want to say goodbye to you now. Have a good weekend.